0: Welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by ultra-endurance athlete Becky Rogers. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was. Pretty nice, man. Let's be honest. It was pretty nice. We had beautiful weather here in Indiana. Fall is definitely kind of uh, hitting its full stride here, cooling off a little bit, and it was pretty low-key. I mean, that was the best part. Kate had one soccer game. On Saturday then we just got to hang out with our neighbors Sunday Kendall no softball which is is kind of rare they had a, a weekend off basically in case there were any rainouts. there hadn't been so we got the weekend off got to go to brunch uh, downside had to go purchase a new washer dryer so that domestic life <laughs> isn't always what it's cracked up to be when you got to show out a couple thousand bucks to uh, replace appliances but With that being said, all in all, it was a great weekend, got to relax, unwind, and really helped me kind of recharge for this week because as the basketball training has basically died out for right now, it's allowed me some time to really dive into IFAST and get back into some of the stuff that I knew I needed to work on there and things that I wanted to work on procedure-wise, operations-wise, and just today, I think, for two and a half hours straight, I don't know if I got up out of my chair other than to walk to the printer and back. But lots of good stuff going on there. Excited because the fall and the winter are always our busiest times of year. We've got tons of new people starting, tons of new clients and new athletes either starting up or starting back up, you know, if they're in fall sports. So very excited about all that. So that is the weekend content, content, content. My friend, the content train is rolling strong. So, if you have not checked uh, the articles this week, got a guest post from my boy Tony Gentilcore. Love that guy. Love how he thinks, and I just love how entertaining he makes fitness. So, if you have not checked that out, I'll put a link in the show notes. But always good stuff from Tony. Got a new video up this week, and the podcast. Man, it's it's really happening soon here. We are about to cross the million download marks, So. Super, super appreciative and grateful for people like you that listen to this show, that support me, that are serious about improving not only yourself, but our industry as a whole. So love you and thank you for the support. And man, listen to this lineup of people I got coming up here. It's the one and only Chris Duffin, man, like psychopath with regards to strength and just savant when it comes to engineering and fabricating lifting materials. So can't wait to have him on. Ian Kadish who is uh, Eric Cressy Referral, somebody I've gone back and forth with. He's with the Minnesota Twins. I've got probably, if not the best tendon expert in the world, one of the best tendon experts in the world. So even if you nothing know nothing about tendons, they're kind of a big deal. And we're going to take a deep dive into the world of tendons, how to train them, all that with Dr. Keith Barr. And then some random guy that I thought I should probably get on the show around episode 200, his name's John... Bacardi Berardi. Yeah, John Berardi. So I think uh, when I do that show, you may want to check that one out because he seems to have done all right in the fitness world. So lots of good stuff going as far as content goes. And then my friend, before we jump into this show, I want to give you, it's not really a deep thought, more of a lifestyle tip that I think will behoove you. It's something that I've been trying to do a better job of. And it's very simple. It's not letting email run your life so for a long time whether it was when i was starting rts when i was writing articles when i opened ifast i was super like militant inbox zero 24 7 right i didn't want any emails in my inbox i didn't want anybody to feel like i was ignoring them and so it was constant i was like hyper vigilant about getting rid of emails from my inbox And one thing that I've really tried to do over the last year, some people would say, well, that's not productive, but it has been productive, is I've just stopped answering emails as quickly as I used to. Um, There's definitely a system and a strategy behind it. So I have certain people that I have marked as VIPs, so they get a little star by them. There's my online clients and people that are paying me money on a regular basis. So obviously, I'm going to take great care of them and answer them as quickly as possible. But, I mean, if somebody's just asking for random fitness advice or somebody's just reaching out to say what's up, like, that's great. And 99 times out of 100, I'm probably going to get back to you, but it's 100% going to be on my schedule. Because what I've found over the years, it's not just email now. Like, in 2004, it was email. Or maybe in the old T Nation days, if you remember this, they had direct messages, right? People could DM you there. But now it's crazy how many ways people can get a hold of you they can email you they can text you they can send you a message on Facebook they can send you a message on Twitter they can DM you on Instagram um, I'm sure there's others that I'm just failing to think about right now I mean if you use apps like Voxer you know people can send you messages on Voxer it's it's crazy so it's no wonder that as a society I think we're less and less productive and less and less able to focus so it's been A real goal of mine here lately, shutting off email, answering it, you know, I'll answer some emails every day, but I'm definitely not going to go through and clear the inbox except for maybe once a week. And I think if you adopt that strategy and you realize so much of the stuff that you get in your inbox is what the the other person might consider urgent or time sensitive, but in reality, it's just not. Right, it's just how we're conditioned now. We're so focused on, oh, if somebody writes me, I've got to respond immediately, and it's just not the case. So I would, I would ask you to try detoxing from your email issues that you may be dealing with. You know, let it go. Don't answer stuff immediately, especially if it's not important, right, or if it's not time sensitive. Let it sit there. It's not a big deal, right? You need time to focus on whatever is important to you, whether it's going through that con ed course whether it's laying out, you know, the next 10 training programs that you have to write for the week, you need those dedicated periods of deep work of focus where you're not answering messages and emails and texts and everything else. You got to be able to lock in focus and get the job done. So something I've been dabbling with lately, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Have you done this before? Have you tried it? Have you been successful? Because at least for me here lately, I've been very happy with the results. I feel like I'm more productive I feel like I'm better able to concentrate, and ultimately, I don't feel like I'm tied and slave to my email anymore. So that does it for me for today. We're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna jump into this awesome show with Becky Rogers. This episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Momentus. For many years, I simply disregarded the age-old advice of getting liquid protein in, either during or after workouts. Part of this was due to the fact that most had so much crap in them, I didn't want to put them in my body. And others might have been high quality, but tasted absolutely disgusting. However, if you're looking for a protein that's not only high quality, but also tastes amazing, you need to check out Momentus. I've been using Momentus for several months now, and I can tell you it's hands down the best tasting protein I've ever had. But it's not just me. I have numerous elite level athletes who are very picky with their protein powders and every one of them raves about how great Momentous Protein Shakes taste. And while the taste is amazing, the best part about Momentous is that they're incredibly transparent with what goes into their product. You never have to worry about a tainted or dirty supplement, as all of their products are NSF and Informed Sports certified. If you'd like to try Momentous out for yourself, head over to livemomentous.com forward slash Robertson and use the code ROBERTSON20 to save 20% off your first order. Or if you want to try before you buy, get a free three-pack sample sent to your house by using the Robertson sample code at checkout. Regardless of which option you choose, I guarantee once you try Momentous Protein Shakes, you'll never go back to anything else. Becky Rogers is an ultra endurance athlete, microbiologist, and mother of four. Her list of accomplishments in the ultra world are too numerous to even begin listing here, but let's just say that 50 mile races might consist of a warm-up for her. In this show, Becky and I talk about how a trained microbiologist became a hardcore ultra endurance athlete and coach, what the training looks like to compete in events that are 100, 150, or even 240 miles long, how she uses nutrition and recovery to support her training, and how she recently ran the last 70 miles of a big race while dealing with a grade two quad strain. Needless to say, this is a fascinating episode and I truly hope you enjoyed listening to some of Becky's stories. But enough for me, let's do this. Becky, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, thanks Mike for having me on. Well, I'm a mom, I have four kids and I think anybody who has Kids at all probably will say, yeah, they're a parent first. I'm also a strength and conditioning coach that specializes in endurance athletes and female athletes. And then I also tend to run a lot. <laughs> I've done other things like obstacle course racing, but I keep getting fixated on this running stupid far through the mountains thing. So okay. that's Okay.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And what originally led you to the world of physical preparation and got you started as like a strength coach?
1: Well, you know, like one of the first memories I have is sitting between my parents in a canoe and <laughs> just watching the water drip off of a paddle. So and we would backpack and all sorts of things like just my whole life has been awesome, like horseback riding, tons of competitive sports. So I don't know, like I think it just I was born and I realized the value of physical training. I saw my dad. Go out and like you know dump us out in a canoe. We we were taught how to re- rewrite the canoe from a young age, so it was very clear to me that if you're not prepared physically, you're kind of screwed in life. Um, yeah, that's it's a it's a long winded like a forty year story, but it, it started early. It was just the parents sitting on me and like that's life. You yeah, gotta be prepared.
0: I love it. I love it. Mm.
1: Sword end of it.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. And then just give us an idea of your career path. Because like you said, you've been doing this a while, whether it's competing, just give us an idea of, like you said, before we got on the show, you have a very non-traditional path. So I'd love to get more into that.
1: I, you know, was kind of a, a nerd growing up. I did a lot. The, the, the geeky athlete, I did, a, a, you know, pretty good in school, mm-hmm. uh, played competitive sports, played soccer in college, did a little bit of weirdly wrestling. That's another whole story. But, <laughs> I, you know, that was interesting. Softball at a pretty high level. And, you know, just track, loved sports in general, but I was very career oriented. So I went into microbiology and chemistry and worked in the lab and kind of got older, had some kids, four kids, Mm -hmm. you know, get a little out of shape, but still running. And in college, I ran, I guess I was running like 130 miles a week from what we can figure out based off the hours. Largely, it started as a training program for the college team, you know, preseason and you know, six mile runs, which I never was a person who liked doing running outside of with a ball, you know, right, I, I, right. I kinda got I don't know what happened. I just started really enjoying the process. So I'd use it for stress relief. I'd go off for three hours, just take off running between practice and studies and work. Right. And you know, that was my background. So I had a lot of running background, took some time off, had kids, career, and trying to get back into shape, I started delving into this running again. Mm-hmm. And started having some issues like overuse, typical problems, IT band problems. It was really confused as to why it was happening. Started trying to research why. I couldn't find my answers anywhere in any of the literature, any of the pre-made formats online, any of the coaching programs. None of that seemed to be clicking with me. So I started delving into it further. I just kept reaching out. I reached out to Jill Jamerson, trying to reconstruct what we know about training for endurance. Yep. And in the process, uh, a lot of my... Peers would see me training because I, I call it my laboratory because I'm a, a geek. Like <laughs> I go out and I test these theories on myself. And as the years progressed, the community started coming to me and saying, Can you help me? Cause you know what you're doing. Cause I was no, you know, I had figured it out, so to speak, for myself. And so I was like, okay, I guess maybe I can. And at that point, I had a lot of certifications. i have done a ton of, you know, education for myself. Yep. Trying to push my own limits. And so, you know, I started doing free clinics for some athletes locally that running base strength on soccer fields, ended up developing a nonprofit running club from that. And I started coaching full time. Now that's what I do for a living. So it was kind of just this awesome evolution, but totally non-traditional. I mean, I think that's, but as I just followed my passion and people were signaling, yes, we, you know, this is, you're doing the right thing and like, okay, well, let's go right. with
0: it. So, yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about how you go from, I think you said in college, you're running say 130 miles a week to now you're doing races that are 100 or 200 plus miles. So how do you make that jump? So
1: you know, it. I I was like I said, a, a college soccer player, and I had been trained. I played co- soccer in general was my big passion growing up as a sport. That was the one I picked, so to speak. I ended up there. Mm-hmm. So you know, you put a lot of miles on if you're a midfielder. I think yeah. what estimate I saw was like maybe six miles a game. So and if you're playing three games on a weekend, so that's a lot of a lot of volume, really. Absolutely. So I had that going on, but I mean that has a ball. It's a different sort of thing altogether. And then I got passionate about just running. I think it's kind of an addictive process, which is another podcast.
2: Altogether
1: <laughs> but really, how do I get started in a 200? You just do one step at a time. Yeah. If you're going to start the training for that, you know, just go out and start picking away at your mileage, build your volume up. I mean, I remember when I was out of shape and trying to come back after having kids and a career started, and I was just kind of a mess. I'm like, oh man, I'm getting winded. Like literally going up the stairs, like stuff. <laughs> It's it it became like let's try to put in a couple miles every week, you know, and then also do some other forms of training like rowing, do what you can. So it's it's a, it's a gradual buildup. Even if you have a big base in your past, you're still going to need to do it correctly and build up your volume of aerobic capacity, like over a number of months and maybe even years. Right. Uh, but it's one step at a time when you're you're going from. You say, I want to run a hundred mile or it might take you several years to build up to that even with a lot of mileage in your past. It's do it the right way. You can go out and you can do it. Right. Tomorrow. Right. But it's probably not going to be pretty. Yeah. You <laughs> might yeah. be pretty correct. And I've, I've known a couple of athletes that have done that just to prove to themselves that I can go out and run a 50K with no training. Right. On my 30th birthday. And then they never, oftentimes they never run again. They like yeah. get this like, sour place in their soul like that just sucks so bad and <laughs> I, I going back to how do you do this you really have to enjoy the process yeah so I was running 130 miles a week and that's what we can calculate based off of the mile the hours I was putting in because I didn't run with a watch right so I was just going out and I'm gonna do a couple hours and feel feel it out and, like I need the stress relief. No water. I just take off. It was my roommates made fun of me. Like, there's, she goes, <laughs> We're scumping it again. You know, we don't know when she's gonna come back. Like, I enjoyed it. Well, you know, I, I didn't care. I was like, whatever. I'm just gonna go do this. Like, right. I need this today. So, it's that's the real big one. It's, it's one step at a time and trust the process. Like, enjoy the process. Make sure you really love what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I love that. And was that something that you naturally found like? you mentioned kind of cross training in there and you mentioned some of the overuse stuff. Was that something that you naturally found you needed to incorporate just to keep like, absolutely just to build capacity. Right.
1: Right. And I, am not saying that every athlete, this is a huge, uh, somewhat of a huge argument inside of endurance coaching right now. I like, I, I'm very much on the spectrum that strength is vital for endurance athletes. Mostly there's yeah. always a few that can't handle much strength, but but I think those are the exceptions instead of the rule. Yeah. I definitely, I'm what you would call a mesomorph, I'm probably stereotypical, so I have quite a bit of fast-twitch muscle fibers. I, you know, Soccer was really fun for me, I uh-huh. love right. explosive training. So for me to try, to try to ignore all my fast-twitch muscle fibers and pretend like they don't exist and not train those because I'm an endurance athlete, it's just, that's a recipe for overuse, that's a recipe for disaster, I'm just gonna get weak. Yes, I do that. And so I, I, you know, as time went on, I recognized that that's what's going on. Like, I I can't just train the slow twitch and like ignore the rest of my body. I'm not built like some of these really elite marathon roadrunners are just beautiful gazelle creatures. But I am definitely not built like that. And I think most humans are probably not. So, yes, I I naturally gravitate towards some of my more soccer based biometric type training. I started incorporating that stuff back into my programming and use some Joel Joel's techniques, Joel Jamerson's techniques and some other folks techniques and created kind of my own process for fixing the problem. So
0: I love it. I love it. So that kind of goes seamlessly with my next question, because I know you and I have both obviously been influenced by Joel and he's just such a wonderful resource when it comes to conditioning. I would love to know if you'd get into any kind of specifics, but like what methods of his or like you said, non-traditional techniques do you use in the gym? to help build the capacity necessary to complete a 200 plus mile race?
1: For me, I, I think I, I use a lot of traditional techniques like thresholds the you know, the running techniques and I'll be two max training earlier in the season. Actually, a lot of the things that you would, you know, would, would say this is an endurance technique, but the, probably the one technique that I use that I was surprised when I met Joel, I, I actually took his coaching certification years ago when he did it live. Yep. Was, I think I was the only woman there, a huge room of dudes, and I think I was the only endurance-based athlete in the room. And so I was kind of sticking out, you know, a Yeah. Bit. I kept raising my hand, and I had all these questions, and I found out that I was training very similarly to Navy SEALs. And I didn't, I didn't hmm. know a group of my friends and I had been pulling tires up the mountain, and it turned out we were doing high-intensity continuous training. Really? So we have been doing this for a long time, but we didn't know it had a name. So of course Joel and I started discussing this, and that's probably the one that everybody says, "Oh, there's Becky again with her log." Because I'll actually go out. It's not in the gym. I got to stop you there. Too. No, that's okay. Because as ultra athletes, we have to be—we're kind of outside creatures. Yes. Uh, a lot of the time, I'll take—you know—I'll go for a four-mile warm-up run, which some people are probably laughing when they hear this, because that's like my <laughs> warm-up run, and then, or maybe longer, maybe yeah. an hour. And 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 on a trail for for miles could actually be an hour. Yeah. Um, and then I'll find like a good log. I got my fa- my favorite logs. I hide. This is a local joke because I've got <laughs> these logs that I. Oh, I'm gonna keep it over there. And you know, they're pretty heavy. Some of them are 100 plus pounds, and I'll carry these things up a old logging road for set amounts of time. I think what Joel did for me was like I I started instead of it just being kind of a random carry, I I started making sure that it was it made sense. Like I right. Was thinking, before I'd be like, I'm going to go to the top. Right. I can still do that, but I mean, it's a little bit more structured now. I, I think it's a lot more effective. But I'll use, you know, sandbags at the gym for these scientists to continuous training type methods. And like some of the strong guys downstairs come up and try to kick my sandbag. They're like, how the hell are you carrying the center? But I, that's what I have to do at this point. After many years of training, I, it's progressed to that. Yeah. To get want to put that sucker down, I got to carry it for a mile, and at 143 pounds, you're carrying a 100 pound sandbag. You know, that's that's, that's pretty a, intense. I mean, you're having to deal with that for for that long, it, 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 you want to put that down, but it, there's no physical reason why I have to. Yeah. So that's where sort of where I am now with that training. And, you know, other methods I use, you know, like explosive repeats and you know, plyometric work, and I actually do some strongman. Really. Work, obviously not. It's like pebbles in comparison to a lot of my friends is what they can lift. But sure. I do a lot of strongman type of warm-ups with sleds. So I'll use the strongman first and then I'll do the sleds. When I have higher volume, it works really well for me because there's just not a lot of impact. Yeah. A lot of postural strength, which is one of the big things that most people don't understand, is that as a running, especially an ultra runner, you start kind of caving in your postural strength is where it's at. Yeah. You want to see an athlete coming through a 200 mile finish line completely upright. Yeah. Uh, which I'm always priding myself. I'm not one of those people so far anyway. I'm not saying it won't happen. <laughs> this next thing I'm doing, it might happen, but where you start kind of listing or you cave in. And you know, you could draw a lot of when you're running, you draw a lot of power from your obliques. It's kind of a strange thing, but your 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 core right here is absolutely vital for a runner to develop their forward motion. So that is something a lot of athletes overlook. And it's not just the planking. You want to have, you want to develop the postural strength where you are. Right. When you're running, I'm not in a plank when I'm running. Right. 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 So I, I, I have, I've used, like I said, the sleds. I really enjoy the sled work. Also some other interesting stuff. I'll incorporate maces because I'm also an obstacle course racing athlete. So I found mace training, ropes, trevillion traverse. I'll do trevillion traverse repeats as kind of a way to break it up.
0: Wait, what are those? I have no clue.
1: You know when a rope is hanging over a lake or something, you gotta traverse over it.
0: Oh, okay. That's not exactly what I was thinking of, but okay.
1: So, like, because I, I've I've done some obstacle course racing as as kind of a side sport that I sometimes do. Have <laughs> <laughs> an eight foot wall. Like, I'll, right. I'll do some explosive stuff, and I'll actually, instead of a medicine ball at the gym, I get kind of bored, so I'll do the same type of strength training, but I'll incorporate other. Things that are different tactile, like I I feel like you know, because for a running athlete, a lot lot of time we don't want to necessarily put a ton of load on us. Yes, but I think it's good for your mind to have to pick up a sandbag or pick up a rock. Like it changes the way that you're processing out as an athlete. So I'll use like I have tires that I use for various things, but I'll actually just kind of throw the tire over the top of the wall as an explosive like squat movement and right. sometimes this and that's kind of sucks because it balances off but you know <laughs> like i just use what i have and, and it's it, people my poor neighbors they drive by and like what is this woman? but that that has really helped me keep the training fresh yeah i'm um, an exciting and so i can enjoy the process yep because if you're gonna do a 200 mile race you better freaking enjoy your training because you're gonna be doing a hell of a lot of it
0: yeah yeah so i can like
1: you know, at one point it was last, I mean, it's like 22 hours a week with just the running.
0: Oh my gosh. And that's, that,
1: that's just right. I mean, that's, that's not necessarily atypical for me. Like, and then we'll talk about maybe three or four hours of some strength-based training as well. So that's, Yeah, a
0: lot. That's intense. So talk to me. I would love to just hear about like the mental side of that, right? So you and I, I think it's pretty fair to say our competitive endeavors have been on opposite ends of the spectrum, considering I competed in powerlifting. So I know this is probably going to really suck. And I'm really scared for three to seven seconds versus Uh you going into a race and knowing this is going to take hours or potentially days. So how do you gear up mentally? to be ready for just the sheer breadth of time that you're gonna be exercising for?
1: So I think if that's an interesting point, like the so-called opposite end of the spectrum in sports, because I I like lifting and I sometimes lift, what I, heavy for me, Yes. during the winter time is typically when I do that, when I don't run as much. And so I've kind of gone through this because if I have any doubt before I'm gonna go and try to do a max lift, which I sometimes do, I'm kind of known for doing heavy lifting in the endurance community. I will fail the lift. Yes. So it's not that one's easier or harder than the other one. We both, but I have longer to dwell upon it. And I also have longer to change my mind. Yeah. You, you, on the other hand, you, you can't, you have to be just, <laughs> or it's, it's, you're done. Yeah,
0: you know? exactly.
1: But like a split second to make sure that you're in. Yep. You know, like I, 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 it's, it's hard in a different way because we can sit there for, in my case, days Mm -hmm. and like have doubt for days and they could eat you, Yeah, you know, but also have the chance to take a nap and wake back up and decide I can continue going. So the way as the years have gone by the way that I've discovered through the process of doing these things to myself and I, I, you don't wake, I don't know. I didn't wake up and know how to do this. So I just, you know, put myself out there. I remember the first 200 mile race I did, I had no idea how the hell I was going to, it was just, I want to get it done. And that was the goal. I'm not right. going to try to win. I have no idea how to do this, The furthest I've ever gone is 120 miles. So I'm literally going 240. Wow. I have no idea how, I mean, I remember standing at the start line and realizing I got scared for about 10 seconds. It just fluttered in and i was just like, breathe it left. And then I just turned to my, my crew that was going to help me at the aid stations and said, uh, I'm just going to take a little walk around the park. <laughs> and I was totally fine. Everything. I was just like, I'm just going to go for a jog. And that's basically what I did. You know, there were some moments where I'm like, ah, this is kind of burning. Like, I don't really know how I'm going to get back up again. But I just kept thinking to myself, it's literally just, you can do it. You just got to take one more step.
0: Right. So. I love that mindset. Everybody's
1: got their techniques, and I'm not telling you how you should start, because I think that's part of the reason why we go when we run or walk or whatever it is, 200 miles, 100 miles, is because we're trying to learn how to process the fear and and deal with ourselves. Yeah. It's kind of, I I think I've mentioned before that I I don't run for buckles. I am super competitive with myself. Don't get me wrong. I I really want to go for that FKT, but I'm honestly, I'm I'm trying to, to see who I am. in this process i'm I'm delving in because you have a lot of time to deal with yourself out there
0: yeah that's awesome
1: this conversation and you're going to realize how night not great of a person you are but you're also going to realize where you can make changes and that's it's a little bit different than than max lifting i you know but at the same time i don't know man like if i if i have any doubt going up to that bar yeah i'll just walk away
3: absolutely
1: I mean, I, I've done it enough to know, man, that that was just my mind that did that. I could totally lift that. What it was yes. I like doing, like, right? Yeah. So it's not really that different. It's just that I have to spend a lot of time.
0: Dwelling playing. on it. That's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. That's,
0: that's interesting. So tell us a little bit, now that we've talked about your training and your background and all that, tell us a little bit about your current racing goals and also what a, and I'm going to use air quotes here, average training week would look like for you right now.
1: I I like the air quotes (laughs) (laughs) average right now. So my, my racing right now is kind of not, I'm done with typical racing. So I just finished Bigfoot 200, which was my big event. I'll, you know, did a number of 50 Ks, 50 milers, all the way up to finally got to the 200 at the end of this year. But in a couple of days, I'm doing a 450 miler but it's it's not a typical race it's actually trying for a fastest known time on a route so that's that's okay. part of it i'm kind of outside of racing now i'm going into what we call long long trail running and there's nobody out there but you and the, and the clock ticking
0: right <laughs> right so
1: and trying to get done is a is it, this is a practice run for my big huge race quote unquote uh next year which is 2650 mile attempt on the pct so I don't anticipate have, doing a lot of racing. I might throw a couple 50Ks in for just, you know, warm-up. You know, just <laughs> and I don't know. I, I can't promise there's one locally I really love doing. Cause it's like a right. party out there. But okay. uh, not really anything serious except for these long-trail fastest-known time attempts. So, okay. So that's – and a typical week of training right now, That's that air quote is – yeah, right now, I mean, I, I was at one point a few weeks ago before the 200 I did – an entire eight day of eight to 10 hours a day on foot,
0: which I was carrying
1: a big bag. It was a self support fast pack thing. So we run walking, but in the a few weeks prior to that, I was doing, I think it was 22 hours. I did a two, eight hour week, you know, over the, I carry a tent and everything, Right. but then I was doing like a couple, one hour easy jogs during the week, like to prepare for that. I don't do a lot and do a little bit of strength training, mostly tempo lifting with a high volume. It tends yeah. to be what I do and maybe a little bit of sled work or strong man carry type of things. It depends on what I've constructed for that, that phase, It dep- the year it changes, but, right. but in like, you know. Preseason, what I'd say, win or build, like, which I'm going to do after this 400. I'm going to cut all my mileage back to just a few hours a week and do a lot of rowing because I prefer to do that in the gym yep. and a lot of heavier lifting. And it's going to go on for several months. There was some debate between Joel and I about whether or not I was going to do build this year, but I feel like I'm kind of, I got to rebuild the strength. I, it, this long stuff does start taking it out. Even if you have, you know, special mutant powers to keep your muscle, you're, you're right. still good to good. 400 miles is still going to chew
0: you up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, one final question on that. How do you envision that changing to get you ready for this 2650 mile endeavor that you have lined up?
1: What do you mean that my what changing?
0: I mean, what are you going to have to get like your volume even higher than you've ever had it before to get it to where you're comfortable doing that or
1: Yeah, this is a good question. Right now, like I I have, I've been consulting with Joel Jamerson on it just because he's the recovery expert, right? Right. And So I reached out to him to privately help me figure out what might be possible, like throw some ideas out, because I don't have any information on that. This is like, we're, we're guessing best guess. There's a lot of best guesses going on. Yeah. Um, And the build, I was wondering, do I have enough time to do this to cut my mileage down? Right. And at this point I I feel like I'm looking at just my strength and I I typically very strong. And I'm not feeling that way right now. Like, nah, you know, I I gotta do at least eight weeks worth of build. I'm thinking more like twelve. And then I'm just gonna ease back in my volume. A lot of what you do in the long trail is power hiking, fast packing, where you're run walking. Like honestly, most people don't understand that at a certain point a twenty minute mile is very rapid. Right. You're a forty percent grade. Yeah, you know, like it, you got to, you know. So learning how to hike better is yeah. actually something I did this year, and I pr would my two hundred mile time, even though I actually had a an acute tear in my quadricep. Mm. It was a grade two tear by one hundred thirty miles. I've never had that happen, but I, I fell a number of times because I wasn't sleeping, and I ripped it. I mean, there was bruising. I had hardly any range of motion. It was a mess. Yeah, uh, and I actually powered through it with one leg. Oh, my gosh. Um, and my sticks.
3: Yeah.
2: So,
1: but uh, the only reason why I could do that is because I'm strong. Like, yeah. if I had not of trained the way I've been doing for decades, it would have been game over.
3: Yeah. That's, but
1: I PR'd that time. And I, I over the last years, by six hours, despite. And I got, you know, top ten females. I think it was seventh.
3: Wow. Which, I
1: thought, well, after it ripped, I was like, I just hope I finish. Like, this right. is really... Not a good situation. You can't bend your leg and you can't, you're going down literally 40% grade.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: I can't go down. I mean, that was interesting hopping on the right leg repeatedly, just laughing my ass off because, like, (laughs) explosive repeat. (laughs) That's what I had to do to protect the left leg because I did not want it to completely rip off the boat. That was an interesting, I realized that I still have a lot of fast twitch left because. Sixty-five miles of doing that, and nothing happened. You know, nothing bad happened. anymore. I didn't overuse anything else. So
3: that's great. Still I love it. But
1: yeah, it's <laughs> that was quite an eye-opening <laughs> experience for sure. But I did. I, I will say that the power hiking and learning how to do that better, humbling yourself as a rudder, because we always think we want to go faster. Right. to do a six-minute mile. I'm not doing a six-minute mile inside of a two hundred. Right. Just get that out of your goddamn brain. Like, learn <laughs> how to walk more efficiently uphill. Use your Solaris because it doesn't get tired. Yeah, that, that muscle group is basically all slow twitch. So capitalize on that. Learn how to use it more effectively going uphill. Learn how to go downhill easier, because when you go downhill, the eccentrics just take you out. Yes. Right. It, eventually. Yeah. Doing, Bigfoot, I think, was forty-four thousand feet of down. Oh my gosh. Let that sink in. Yeah, how do you train for that, right? Right. How do you train forty-four thousand feet of down?
3: Wow. That's,
1: I mean, it's just a few days. <laughs> and, you know, I was wearing like a ten-pound pack, so, but you know, because you got to carry water. The aid stations are like twenty miles apart. Right. So, you let that sink in, and you're like, damn, you're going to have to learn how to float down those hills. You do not want to be crashing. You see all these epic uh, running down these hills as best they can. Oh, that's nice. We laugh. Ultra runners laugh at that stuff, honestly. <laughs> really long trail over, like, that's nice. We'll see you later. Because yeah. they always come, uh, the, some of us have been doing it a while. We'll get in 100, and people just shoot out, and you're like, Yeah, we'll see
0: you in a couple miles. Right, that's so
1: coming.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's so funny that you mentioned that because when I was up there, Joel was like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna do like a a four mile hike." What he failed to mention was that it was four miles one way, and we were going up like two thousand feet of elevation in that four miles. You
1: were involved in that. I saw that. Oh oh my gosh,
0: man! And I was tired going up, and then I had that stark realization of, "Oh crap! Now I have to come down four miles." And two thousand feet of elevation and just the the quad soreness for the next about week was ungodly. Oh, really? So oh yeah, so no.
1: Like that's like a warm up run for me. I so uh, exactly. I that's like eight and a half miles if you go, you know, up and back. Yeah. And it's two thousand feet.
0: You are um, two thousand yeah. down. You are an and inspiration. I, I saw
1: that. I saw that post that somebody made. I, I think it was. I call him Data Dan. Yeah. So it was all excited about the high intensity continuous training that you guys did, and said yes. that there were logs. I didn't realize you'd gone with them, and yes. I was like, "Yes!" And I, I, they did it. This is awesome. And then I wonder how much bitching is going on there.
3: <laughs> a lot. So a that,
0: lot. So that
1: that, but that is kind of a sample of. So now you know.
0: Yeah. No, I have a very good understanding of what you do now, and that's why I wanted to get you on here. So let's steer in a little bit different direction because I love talking about the training side, but we also know like there's a supportive side to all this as well. So I'd love to talk about your nutrition. What is your diet like and how on earth do you fuel your body to produce energy for such an extended period of time?
1: So I think you probably know this, but obviously I can't eat enough to actually produce the amount of energy I'm using yeah. during these events. So I don't even try to do that. Hmm. That's just that's just pointless. Like if you you put in if I try to gorge myself on three, four hundred calories an hour, I'm just gonna end up in GI distress and that, yes. I've done that before. I okay. made that mistake before. Everybody usually, you know, we try, you think I gotta put it all back in. I've got so much fat on my body, even being fairly lean that I don't really need to worry about that for most events, even on the PCT, I suspect, even with like about a 50-day, 50, 50 to 52-day push. Wow. I don't think that it's gonna be much of an issue, even at that extent, it's not quite long enough. Right. I don't have enough of that. So what I typically do, and I'm a mesomorph in this, and I'm also a female, which actually matters in diet, as we've now discovered with the new studies that are being done. I typically eat a very balanced macro, so every day. So it's pretty balanced. The protein levels are might be questionably high. Um, at least one gram per pound is about 140 grams of protein, quality yeah. protein. At least sometimes I don't stress out like it, I know I'm like if I'm famous for like if there's a chicken I'm gonna eat half. <laughs> just, like my life so very high in the protein intake. As soon as I get up, it's like 30 minutes, and this is another female athlete thing. I tend to eat a lot of protein, like 20 to 30 grams, within 30 minutes of waking up. Okay. and then a little bit of carbohydrates I definitely eat carbohydrates
3: yeah <laughs> and the
1: carbohydrates and fats because I'm a female athlete that the levels of those switch naturally during my month okay so it's very much hormone dependent unlike men so I don't stress out about it i, I have i follow pretty balanced there's just a little bit of difference in the fats and the in and, and the um, carbohydrate load depending on the week uh, during my events I eat the same the long events I eat the same balance so like pro bars one of my big favorites. They're pretty heavy in calories, but I'm literally eating one little bite every 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. And that's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, it's real basic stuff, or a hamburger. And yes, with a bun, yes, yes. You with know, everything on it. Like I'll, I'll pack it and I'll, depending on the situation, grilled cheese sandwich, yep, you just eat a little bite of it. For me, that works. But the more important part of this whole thing is my hydration. Okay. So, the, the calories you got to get some in there to, to start the fat burning process, and for me, unless I'm going super fast, like if I'm going to do really a five hour fifty k on a trail, that's pretty fast. I would I would eat more sugar, more quick sugars, yep. smaller size particles. So maybe like a liquidized. Some I'm not really a big fan of gels, but maybe some chews. Or like boiled, hard boiled potatoes, small amounts of that. Okay. And by hydration, I use Osmo electrolyte, which is a electrolyte for women. They have a line that's specific. I think it's the only one in the world designed for female athletes. Okay. it is actually slightly different. The the amount of sodium, the concentration of, of of the sodium and sugar is different than the men's line. I will tell you, I, I am sponsored by them now because I started using this product and after what, 30 years of having random gi distress at various sports like i would try everything out i think i've tried every electrolyte on the market and there would be a week or two where it worked great and then all of a sudden it wasn't working and i couldn't figure out why well now we know it's because females hormones are different and we have different requirements to get the water in our gut right. during two weeks out of the month and so i switched over to this to give it a try i the science is good on this and you can look them up by it's osmo nutrition on youtube and they have some interesting stuff explaining how hydration really works is between men and women. Once you get that hydration correct, everything else starts falling in the line. Okay. You no longer have any GI distress. It's, it's unusual if you're pacing correctly and you're eating small enough amounts periodically. Yeah. You don't get as bad of blisters. The muscle cramps that you thought you were getting aren't really muscle cramps. Like, like you're hydrated again. Like you're mm-hmm. not tired. You're just, you just need to, I have some old injuries that I've, you know, years of sports, you have some things that when you're, I'm 40, so sure. things start kind of flaring up in like 20 miles and you're like, oh man, there goes the hit, you know, but I discovered if I'm like, I'm dehydrated, I need to drink more, you know, my electrolyte and gone. It's really, like it's gone within minutes. Yeah. it's It's amazing how much that hydration, so that's one of my keys. It's also a key to recovery. Like, I, I, I literally drink this stuff. Like, it, it, it works so well. I use it primarily when i All training sessions are usually around two hours long. I won't eat anything during that time. Like, that goes into how I'm training my body, but I, I'll drink by Osmo. I'll eat prior to the workout and I'll eat immediately after the workout 30 grams of protein and then some carbohydrates by like bananas, something not super high in fructose. So, yeah. that's key for female athletes, especially when they're older like me. Don't depend on all their fruit as your. I mean, bananas are actually berries, so it works out. Or like potatoes or root vegetable, you know, that, that works huh. better for our recovery. We don't. We want it to go right into our muscles. Yes. And starving myself, I'm not. I. I Joel had me do a bonk run. It was like five hours long, and we were experimenting. So. Right. And I, I think I had I used some UCAN. I was just see how far I can go. I, like 100 calories of UCAN, just ran for five hours. <laughs> I never bonked out. I just got, I'm like, I'm done. I can't do any more load today. And then I came home and I lifted was this is crazy stuff that we do. And I kind of <laughs> sucked. I'll say that was a three out of 10. That was a little sucky, but I, I didn't ever, I can do that. Like if I need to, I could go pretty much forever at a moderate pace. Like I don't train that way. Right. So I believe uh, I, I I am certified through Precision Nutrition and go through those interest. I did that to just inform myself. When you go through that course, you'll you'll realize like how many pathways the body has to, to solve the problem.
0: Yes, absolutely. Stop
1: trying to outsmart your body. I'm a I am ai will go off about this is a whole other podcast. <laughs> I am not going to eat a high fat diet like to just try to outsmart my body. It knows what to do. Somebody said, "Are you a keto or whatever?" And I'm like. Everybody who's out there for eight hours is burning a lot of fat. Like we wouldn't be moving anymore if we weren't like, what is this question? I don't understand this question. Right. Be efficient at burning fat. So yeah, I mean, I I really emphasize whole foods when I can. Yep. Obviously in races, like this thing I'm going to do this next weekend, there's a lot of bars (laughs) in those bags because I I need to be able to eat on the go, but they're, you know, try to be better bar quality. Like I I really like pro bar because they're a lot of, Real food in there, so yep. real food. I love it. Not not gels as often. Like I've used them in some races, I've had to, but real food is the way to go. And like drink, drink your hydrate with with water slash electrolyte, and eat your food. Yeah, eat your and that's the solution for me. I love it's it. It's Pretty simple.
0: I love it. So beyond nutrition, recovery obviously has to be a focus here too, because you're putting in some miles between your runs, between your strongman, between your lifts, all that stuff. So how on earth do you track your recovery and maybe what means or methods do you use to get yourself ready to train or compete on a regular basis?
1: So I've been using, I use the Joel's system, Morpheus, but I use the predecessor as well. So Mm -hmm. for a long time, I wasn't, I was just taking that morning resting heart rate and, you know, kind of punting, so to speak. Right. I how do my field stay? but now we have better ways to, to kind of track this stuff. So Morpheus is what I've been using this last year. I'm a big, huge fan of it. Really have made massive gains using the system correctly. And as far as recovery, I've been able to use that to kind of, and also how I think I feel, which I actually feel like I'm in touch with that pretty well. I think most ultra athletes have to understand where they are better than because we're we're sitting you know we we have to be very much self-aware yes but i I like to back it up with the hrv in the morning and i really like to see a number so i'll take this sucker out like when i do fast packing and actually take my hrv to see if i went to bed at and that's the big one sleep you know if i stop running at 10 o'clock at night and i wake up at four like was that actually enough sleep to recover enough to get up and do it again because i'll do you know 50K back-to-backs where I'm self-supporting, and I'm actually using it that way. Or if I change something in my diet, you know, did that have any, can I tell if that's really making an effect if I'm timing my protein a little bit better? Also, something I noticed, if I, if I train outside without shoes on, this is a weird one, but I, I guess it's like kind of grounding and also sunlight, I do a lot of my lifting outside.
3: Mm.
1: And I do it without shoes on in the grass. Yep. which I'm obviously not producing a huge amount of, you know, this power is really not I'm what I'm doing out there. But I notice I rebound so quickly that like my HRV is back the same in the next day, like incredibly. Huh. Uh, some very interesting things. But basically sleep and then I would have to say nutrition, those two things at the top of the pile as far as my recovery process is concerned. I'm really not good about soft tissue stuff. I'm weird like that. I don't ever get massages. Really? I had one done.
0: I'm fascinated by years. that. I figured that yeah, would be like I'm, a regular I'm such thing.
1: Odd bird. I, I kind of foam rollers. I'm like, what is this shit? Like I, I try to do it. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. And I'm like, I'm not really sure that this is like, I feel like if I'm sore, I just need to go to bed. Right. I'll do a little bit of stretching, kind of ease things out. And as I get older, I, I'm actually doing this Kabuki strength. I've got one of their boom sticks and okay. Matt, I've actually seen some difference in my HRV. I've been experimenting and I'm taking that out next week. I've my crew, you know, boom stick on me for a while and see right. if that's gonna help me because <laughs> at that point 400 miles anything like doing yes. a little radiance. but i actually think it works interestingly enough very well but that's not really soft tissue that's kind of like telling your nervous system it's time to go into a repair process so that i can understand i i, I i'm pretty much it's it's the sleep and the nutrition that are the big hits for me
0: i love it I love it. All right. So, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Becky Rogers one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be?
1: Stop beast modeing every damn time (laughs) you go out on the field. Yes. I think it, like, you and I, I think we're about the same age, and
3: Mm -hmm.
1: the coaches that we went through with were awesome. But we were pretty much taught to kill it every time. I yes. think that's, that's, you know, like, and I, some of that, you know, yeah, concentrate and maybe this is when it counts. That's the the motto that I was taught by a coach that's still working on a Jesswood high school. Like the girls are, I think we're the top of the country in soccer coach Leroy, mm-hmm. we you know, but that was his saying, I, I was fortunate that, you know, be coached by him and, 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 but he was using it in the right context. He was, you know, focused, yeah. focus on recovery. Focus on your footwork. Focus on relaxing. So he he was the one who kind of yes, this is when it counts. This is this focus instead of beast mode, It's okay to beast mode once or twice a week, or yeah. like if at the end of your race yes. everything's falling apart on you physically, and you're going to run through that line. Now nah, it's time to beast mode, and right. you may be only doing a fifteen minute walking pace, and that's beast mode for you. But there's times to turn that on, and you'll be more effective. That goes into Joel's recovery. Theories, which I definitely are. That's what I do now. Yeah, um, I beast mode a couple times a week, maybe. Yeah, depending on the time of year. And that that's that's much more effective. I could have told my younger self that. Oh man, my performance would have been outstanding. But instead, we did what we did. You yes. Know. Yeah.
0: Beast you know. mode every day, right? Right. And until you break or something hurts, or yes, yeah, I know. and you
1: don't break, so you don't tell them ever. Like you just like I I don't know. I found out recently that I. Have a ripped tendon in my like it's actually mushroomed off of my hip. Oh my! Um, a few years ago, I found this out because I was in for something else, and of course, they the MRI when they do it to an athlete of my age is like, oh god, yeah. I don't know. I thought <laughs> that there was a you know something mushroomed off, and and I'm like, oh god, and they're like, no, that's really old. That must have happened when you were like 16. Yeah. And like, did you get hurt? And I'm like, I don't remember. Maybe it was kind of sore. And they're like, oh geez typical soccer player. You're just like, man, just go yeah. back out. And just pretend like it's not there. You don't want them to know that you can't be mode quite as much today. Right? Absolutely.
0: Right. Absolutely. So. You just get through it. Right. Just that's get through it.
3: Right way to do it. <laughs> all
0: right. So last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So short questions, but your answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right. Yeah. All right. So five of them. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as an athlete?
1: No, 240 that I mentioned that before, and just trying to double that distance at that point, like just trying to finish it. When I got finished with that, I was like, if I can do this, like what, what is the extent that I can push myself? Yes, where my it was more mental, I could my body, I'm running a sub 10 minute mile in the last three miles of a 240 mile race. I did actually do that. It was I was booking it. I just something like I just I all of all of the exhaustion left and I I was running in. I let my pacer, my dear friend Dolores. I had to drop her because she couldn't keep up with me. She just keep <laughs> And she was like, go, oh, you know, like she right. was done. She'd been out there for a long time. She's like, I can't keep just run. I ran in and I, I remember that my friend, the photographer, took the finish line picture, I think it was Scott Rokas. And they, you know, and I you know, a couple of days later he downloaded it and I've just got my mouth open. Standing at you know at the other end, like what just happened? Right. Like how? Like this is Like how? How much further can I go? Is there actually a limit? Right. So that, I would say that's been a career because it stuck with me. I've done some other crazy things since then, but man, that that was a really profound experience.
0: Give us a rundown of what that race entailed. So this is a follow up to that.
1: Yeah, Mohab. I ran at the inaugural year, so it is a uh, down in Mohab. And we run around, we run through the park essentially in a big circle. Okay. They look it up at Mohab 240 or Mohab 200, I'm not sure, .com. I think she called it Mo, Candace called it Mohab 200 at first, but then it just kind of evolved into a 200 and almost 40-mile race. And it goes through a lot of desert, a lot of like Jeep jeep roads, which essentially are like double-track trail with huge rocks. And lots. I a lot of sand just destroys your feet. Oh, yeah. When I ran it, it was really hot during the day. And I come from the Pacific Northwest, so desert arid climate is very difficult for me. It was kind yeah. of scary. Hydration, big—you know—you got to keep on top of that, or you get blisters. It's—it's, it's, and then you go up into up to ten thousand feet. It's okay. actually mountains there and, and snow. Uh, it it got down to nine degrees one night while I was there. <laughs> I mean, it was it was. And I know last year it was the second year they've ever run it, and they had to even reroute the course slightly because there was so much snow at the upper elevations that it was dangerous so they had to actually move the trail during the race they started rerouting it because right so it's it's intense like you got aid stations 20 plus miles apart the first year they did not there was literally i think 21 mile space so we were carrying over three liters of water and some of us still ran out and then the aid station kind of ran out for a while so they they were trying to get water out to the aid station took hours with these jeeps i mean it it takes a huge community to pull this stuff off
0: yeah absolutely and how long did that take
1: Oh man, it, I was like 100 hours or something. It was
3: crazy. I, I was
1: never <laughs> because I was taking my time. I'm going to be honest with you. I was just trying to finish this thing. Yeah. I did not understand the sleep. Sleep is a big issue on 200 mile courses for most human beings. Uh, you can run about two days, 48 hours awake before you go crazy. Wow. So I know I can tell you exactly how many hours I've been awake because I've done this so many times to myself now. <laughs> and after that, your body stops being able to process liquid. Yeah. If you don't go to sleep, you will actually just physically shut down. And I don't take speed. I I, I know some athletes do. You know, it's legal. I mean, caffeine is pushing it for me. So I crash like I, you know, this year at Bigfoot, I I tried to go without sleep because most people that win don't sleep more than like five minutes. So I was like, I'm going to try this. And Joel says, no, not a good idea, Becky. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I got out there and I got hurt. I didn't sleep. That's what happened is I got so tired and I wasn't recovering enough. I wasn't sleeping at all. Mm. And I just started stumbling and, the, you know, and eventually your body just breaks if you do this enough, you right. know, you, you got to sleep. So now I've discovered that three hours, it's about three hours minimum, which is about two sleep cycles for yeah. me to get up and feel really refreshed. Gotcha. That's my personal limit. I'm sure other people have different, you know, maybe 90 minute resets. So it entered, the 200s, is, it's it's kind of a creepy, weird thing because we're sleep deprived. Yeah, you, you, it's a different game completely. You got to understand your limits of sleep deprivation. Some people at Mohab, I was slept I think one time five hours, so I was really milk in the cutoffs. I I was just trying to get through without dying. You know, right? I had, like gotta have that was my goal, finishing the race.
0: Yep, I love so it. So
1: I did that. I wasn't even last place.
0: That's awesome. i was like
1: mind blown. I, my, my feet were very damaged. I had made a lot of mistakes. I wasn't hydrating correctly. I was drinking water the whole time. So I have no idea how, because that's actually kind of dehydrating when you do that. Right. You flush all those extra lights out. And I, I at that point, that's what I did. And, and man, my feet were like, there's some pictures that have circulated all over the internet. I think it was an ad for one company because my feet were just taped all up and just.
0: Yeah. Destroyed. Oh, yeah.
1: They were just, I don't even know how it was still functioning. Like, it took a couple of weeks to get back to normal after that.
0: I bet. Okay. Number two, if you're 150 miles into a 200 mile race, what on earth are you thinking about at that point in time?
1: Wow. My life is awesome. Yeah. Yep.
0: That's so cool. <laughs>
1: that, you, you know, it is like, that is, this is the most, who gets to do this? Yeah. Who gets to go out and look at this stuff? I mean, some of the stuff we see in these races I, like no one's out there this last race of bigfoot 200 i kind of had a epiphany of sorts I, I i got injured and so i'm out there and i've got 17 miles to go to the aid station and a lot of uphill my legs not working i threw up a few times as the pain was really bad mm-hmm. i was refusing to go back to the aid station i'm not going back to the fucking aid station <laughs> I'm not, like i i just i'm like no i'm going forward great Threw up, got, I was really tired. I hadn't slept a couple of days. So finally just laid down on the trail, passed out, headlamp on, music on in my ears, just passed the fuck out. <laughs> I, I think it was the same song still. So I think it had been less than a minute. Yeah. Because that's what happens with ping pong. You just kind of. Huh. And I, I remember my lights hitting there's this leaf on the side of the trail and there was this perfect droplet of rain because, of course, it was raining yeah. on on it. And, and I remember just thinking to myself, how on earth is that leaf undisturbed? We're all out here with our sticks and crab coming up here, trolling along, and that leaf is just perfectly there. And that drop of rain is so beautiful.
3: <sighs> That's and it's awesome.
1: just like that. It was like, I'm so grateful I get to see this. Yeah. It just started spiraling from there. Like, my life is really awesome. You chose to come out here. Yeah, you're hurt, but you've been hurt before in life. You you can, you, it's just a goddamn hill. Right you're in and they just fine from there like the moon one of my the competitors one of the female athletes that i've been trying to stay with when she's so fast and she came up behind me and discovered that i was having a problem because she caught me but instead of being so vicious like most people would envision this have no no no, that's not where she's trying to help me figure out how to get downhill how to hop downhill correctly without hurting my leg
3: right you're,
1: you're don't say that you're done you're not done gave me a big hug I'm so grateful for my friends and, you know, it just, it can went from there. So honestly, 150 miles into the race, that's, I remember what I was doing this last time. And I was like, this is freaking awesome.
0: That's cool. Okay. Number three, what's one or two things that you have to do in an ultra race that most people would never think of?
1: Like I mentioned, sometimes you ping pong, so you just kind of pass out. I've actually done face plants in the really long events, the 200s, like wow. if you're pushing it you'll just go, I mean, it's, it's a joke we have, but people, you'll just see people laying like, dead on the trail, basically. <laughs> they're alive. I, and the, You kind of like, don't even bother them because they're asleep. You know that they're fine. But honestly, one of the things that comes with that is make sure that you, in my case, I I make sure my head's facing the finish line mm. because you get so disoriented. And if you're alone, like I was at Bigfoot, I didn't have anyone out there because you can have a pacer for safety and I'd recommend that most of the time, but I, I'm crazy and I decide not to do that. I had to actually leave myself, put my sticks, you know, I've got my little poles, my wizard sticks, make sure that they're facing, you know, make sure I'm facing the finish line when I lay down. Like, so, and I got out this last race, I got up and I remember even still being slightly confused at which way I was supposed to go because there's no one out there. Right. Like, was it left or was it right? But that's something most people don't realize happens. Your cognitive abilities start declining. Hmm. That, most sports don't have that involved
0: no so. that's crazy
1: um, one of the other things I would just say is that physical demise is inevitable so even though I train my ass off and a lot of ultra runners do a volume and like we try to create this ability to go forever if you push far enough you are going to start breaking down yeah. it, so it, what do they say the first half of the race is run with the feet and the second half of the race is run with the heart Hmm it's very much the case in in extreme endurance and we know it's coming and we accept it. We almost anticipate that as we almost, I honestly say, because you start making a lot of spiritual mental processing changes when your body starts falling apart. Yeah. So it's almost like, yeah, we're we're trying to delay that. And if we're competitive, we obviously want to be as strong as possible, as long as possible. But a lot of us do it for other reasons. Like I'm going to go run 2650 miles. Why am I doing that? Well, you probably have already got that figured out. So I want to see how far I can go. Yep. And I, I'm like, what's going to happen to me? If I'm having these epiphanies in 200, what's going to happen with 26? What a great opportunity. Let's just see what happens.
0: Yeah, I okay. love that outlook. Love it. Okay, number four. What's the scariest moment you've had during a training session or race?
1: Oh, man, the, that Moab, it, when I dropped down to 90 degrees, it was past 100 miles for me at that point. And we were up pretty high in the mountains. And I, I had three layers on top. Rough parka, hats, two pants on, and I could not get warm. I was so tired. I I had slept a little bit, but I I just I my body wasn't regulating heat properly. Where that's what happens when you get sleep deprived and you push yourself. It's pretty normal. Right. And I just my lips were blue. I could I was so tired I couldn't really move very well. So that was causing me not to have a lot of body heat. And I remember looking at my emergency spot beacon and going, I'm four kids. I need to hit that thing because I'm. So cold now, I can't even shiver. And I mean, I I run really warm. I'm I'm the the athlete that's out in the field in t-shirts and a short and snow. Like I have won a race this year doing that, like running through freaking snow with nothing. Like <laughs> I have pretty good body heat when I'm I'm not sleep deprived. But man, I, I realized I was a big trouble. I've done a lot of crazy shit in my life, and I I've been outside for. I, I know when you're you're gonna get to the point where you need to push the escape button. But I realized I had my Pacer Dolores with me. And I said, "How far do we have to go?" Because I couldn't even read my watch anymore; I was just done. And she's like, "I think we've gone eight miles. We've got like twelve or something, and we're moving like one mile an hour or something." I mean, I could barely. I kept falling over into the bushes. I mean, it's just so humbling. And I said, "Shit, I can't push this track button because you're going to freeze if you stay by
3: me, and and
1: they are they are literally not going to have time to get to me. Right. I have to keep moving. I can't go to sleep." At some point, I remember thinking, "I've got my emergency bivy. I, 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 you have mandatory gear, and I had carried a bivy instead of an emergency blanket." I said, "What if we just? I'm going to cut a hole in it and just put it on and keep walking. I don't want to lay down in this thing." And damn, did that not work? And there's some pretty funny pictures now. Like I, I came out the other end, and this I looked like a giant pumpkin because I had this <laughs> thing on. I, by the end of the morning time, I come wandering into the aid station, and I've got this orange thing on. And but it worked. It just highlights, you know, how you have to be prepared. Yeah. If you're an ultra runner, you really have to have the right equipment and you have to be adaptable mentally enough to figure out how to use it. Yeah. Because some of the stuff we do is probably not the smartest. Like <laughs> you know, <laughs> be prepared or you could actually bite it. I mean, it, it's it's possible. You could I could have seriously frozen to death out there. I'm not sure if they would have had time. I was pretty if I had laid down there
2: because yeah. you know
1: when you get cold. You don't really think, right? You're so tired. Yes. I just kept thinking I gotta go to sleep. I don't care. When you see ice crystals forming in a desert environment, you know it's gotten down. And then I found out two days later that it had got down to 90 degrees, which nobody thought was going to happen. Right. And what it would have been like 90 something degrees that morning.
3: Oh
2: my
1: gosh. So that race is crazy. I'm going down as the coach this year. I'm kind of excited. I have a client running it or slogging it, as we're gonna say. Yes. I'm so excited to watch this unfold. It's amazing to watch the athletes, you know, go through it. And the crew, it's just a—you it, it, should come out. You should come out and, and join us and watch this go down because yeah. I can't really explain the process. You have to be there. Yeah, you have to watch these athletes pulling through. It's amazing. So
0: that's crazy. All right, last but not least, number five. What's next for Becky Rogers?
1: Uh, Sunday we're. We're gonna do 450 ish. I'm not sure exactly how far it is. It's debatable. We're like trying. It might be 500. It might be 456. We're not sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind. It doesn't matter. I don't even wear a watch. Yeah. I, I have it on because I have to be tracked for the official timing. I've got a GPS thing, and you know. It's, but I'm sticking it in my bag. I don't even like to look at it. I'm weird. Yeah. Um, Tech pretty much tech free. I'll listen to some music. But yeah, that's where I'm starting at the California, Oregon border on the Pacific Crest Trail. And the concept is I'm running to the Bridge of God's Washington. Okay. Yeah. Or run power hiking, whatever, trying yeah. to slot my way. And we're gonna work on sleep, it's a practice run. So I'm trying to work on sustainable pacing. Yep. Yeah. If I manage to set a record I do. If I don't, I'm still gonna learn a lot and that's I've been working with Erdin Aruk, and he's, you know, he's got like 14 standing world records for endurance activity. It's, you know, like 300 plus days rowing at sea solo, like crazy. He doesn't run, but he does like human circumvent. So a bike hike and row across the world. Like he did that. I mean, that's amazing. So his, his advice to me has been, and I mean, I'm so grateful for his consult focus. You know he knows me enough to know that like I want to go and I'm going to go. I'm not going to sleep at all. I'm going to break this record. He's like, it's got to be a 52 day sustainable pace for the the PCT. It's like I have to hold like a 54 mile a day average to reset the bar on the overall FKT. The men's it's the men's record, but and so in order to do practice for that, I really need to pace correctly. I'm not going to be able to I have to sleep. Yes. I got to sleep more than three hours. So we know that in the recovery process. Now you see why Joel's involved trying to kind of hack the limits here like can i get away with six hours right you know? so i'm actually going to be not using i'm using a crew i'm doing a supported attempt but i'm actually going to take fast packing gear out and keep going at night until my normal bedtime
3: because oh, wow. it's
1: unlikely that i'm going to hit my crew at exactly like nine or ten o'clock at night so i'm just going to keep going which is something most ultra runners don't do they'll stop with crew mm. fast packers have actually have the overall record on this trail because they just keep going, even though they have a heavier gear.
3: Yeah.
1: They just go when keep going until they're done. So I'm going to do that. I'm actually going to try something that I don't think has ever been tried before. I'm going to do a supported attempt, but I'm going to do a little bit of self-supporting at night and maybe the next morning, hmm. and see if that that methodology works. Because you know, even if you're walking, and you got two more hours, that's a lot of miles if you can walk fast. Like right you eat your dinner with your crew and you can eat a bar before you pass out protein shake in your little tent in the woods somewhere. And, you know, that's, that's maybe, maybe you got eight miles in.
3: Yeah, that's true. Instead of
1: sitting on Facebook as a fucking camper, you know, like, (laughs) like, I'm in a race. Like, no, that that's not what I'm doing. So, I don't know that I'll be posting a lot on social media. My husband's like avoids that. He's actually my husband <laughs> is actually my crew. Okay. Which is very usual. We're probably, we don't kill each other. I don't know how. Yeah, that's people great. People. Thank God for his support. He's actually coming down and going to try to push me through and be hardcore, get back up, go again. And then my girlfriend Dolores is also going to show up here. and th- That's my crew for the PCT. So, we're trying to work through. Our song and dance. It's it's. I always say it's our our attempt because yes. I can't do this by myself. That's true. And all those people, the companies that are sponsoring me, a charity. I'm I'm going to be running for a charity next year uh, of the overall attempt. So it's everybody who's pulling together to make it happen. I'm just the lady who's stupid enough to go out there and walk for a while. But <laughs> all these people are supporting this, and it's so awesome. So. That's what's next. It starts Sunday. I'll have it on my uh, social. I'll have the tracker. I love it. It's alive. You can watch me struggle.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, Becky, you've been so much fun to talk to today and really great just learning more about what you do. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on?
1: You know, I have, I'm on social media under my trail name, The Phoenix Running. It's on Facebook and Instagram. And that's just a bad name. We didn't get into it, but that came from a friend, you get your trail name from other people, because I actually broke my femur a number of years ago, and I, <laughs> I ignored, I got one nuts because I'm so used to doing a lot, so I started doing pull-ups as cardio and a lot of overhead work, because I just couldn't take it. Right. Ended up going into running obstacle awesome course races right out of the inter, injury, because I had developed so much strength that I, yeah. I actually went into the elite ways of the Spartan courses and did that for a while, just... <laughs> because I got hurt. So anyway, I, I got this name, the Phoenix running, you know, was given to me because of the way I operate. Just reinvent yourself. And it kind of fits because I'm a process oriented person.
3: So, yeah.
1: you know, I want, you know, it's, it's always, you're, you're, you're burning down and you're, you're going to come back stronger. That's what happens in ultras. That's yes. what we're trying to do. Maybe mentally, not so much physically, but so anyway, under the Phoenix running, I also have the Phoenix Running.com where I occasionally write some kind of bloggy thing, but I've been so busy. Obviously, it's like maybe once or twice a year that I get to that. Right. Uh, my company, morphconditioning.com, is just my coaching site that you can contact me if you want to talk about conditioning, have questions about it. Or I do a lot of one. I, I'm a one-on-one coach and I coach worldwide. So I'm set up to handle a lot of international clients.
0: Very cool. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, Becky, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really great talking to you today.
1: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Becky. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. I know this is one of those episodes where endurance training probably isn't my strongest suit. Obviously I have to do a lot of that for my athletes, but this, you know, marathon or ultra-level endurance is not something that I've ever dealt a ton with personally. So it was just fascinating to talk with Becky. And to get a better understanding, not only of how intense and grueling her training is, but how she has to use nutrition, how she has to use recovery, and how she has to be smart about all those other pieces to facilitate her training and to help make sure that she can get through these just incredibly rigorous events. So if you enjoyed this show, please do me a solid here. Share it with anybody you think might enjoy it. Again, tons of interesting nuggets in there from a training perspective, just pretty darn entertaining as well. So As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.